You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 101, Mother's Day Challenges, Champions, and Celebrations. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we are well on our way into our second 100 shows now. Oh, that's so exciting. It is exciting. And we're going to get the second set of 100 shows kicked off here with a guest today that is doing some fabulous work on this issue and uh, someone who's uh, connected with you, Sandy, and I know is going to really help us to um, understand more about human trafficking. And that person is Priscilla Santos. She is the program coordinator for the Salvation Army Anti-Trafficking Services Program and is part of the core leadership team for the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force. In her work, she focuses on providing holistic, comprehensive case management to foreign-born human trafficking victims in Orange County. And before she moved to Orange County, she worked with anti-trafficking organizations in Los Angeles, such as Oasis USA and Saving Innocence, as well as World Vision International. And she's also a board member of Fair Trade Los Angeles. Priscilla, we're so glad to have you on the Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. One of the great things about having Priscilla with us is Salvation Army is one of our partners through the FAST Faith Alliance Against Slavery and Trafficking. And so we have a long history of working with Salvation Army. Some of our listeners will remember Sherry Harris, and Priscilla has taken over the responsibilities that Sherry served in here locally with Salvation Army. And one of the things that... I, as I was looking at the calendar and thinking about Mother's Day, um, I've been struck in a lot of my travel and it, working in international human trafficking with how many mothers end up being trafficked. And so I wanted to, for Mother's Day weekend, to especially focus on these women and consider what happened in their lives to, um, to, to, that they would find themselves in, in a modern day slavery situation. So I thought Priscilla could help us understand that and look at some of the things that, uh, if we understand why, maybe we can figure out how we can help reduce risk. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So why do mothers leave their families and risk taking a job away from home. And maybe from some of your experiences, you could tell us more about that. Yeah, well, I have, I have the honor of working with, um, with women who are from 22 different countries all over the world. Um, and there's definitely some, some major themes that we see as, as I'm working with these women and as they're talking and sharing their stories of why they decided to leave their family, which ultimately made them vulnerable for trafficking. Um, and one of the really, really big ones is, um, of course, poverty. 
um, I like to, I always like to share stories when I'm speaking. Um, and one of our, one of our incredible survivors, um, she's from the Philippines and I sat with her just the other day. Um, and I, I asked her some more story and she was just sharing that her husband in the Philippines, she has six, she has six kids with her husband and her husband is a farmer. So it was one day where the crops weren't growing. It wasn't in season. They just weren't making ends meet. And she made the really tough decision um, to better her family and to make sure that, that they could provide for her six kids um, to go and work in another country. Um, so poverty is a huge, huge risk factor uh, for vulnerable moms. And, and along with poverty, there's also a lack of equal opportunities for women when it comes to working in a lot of different countries. Um, I just read a stat the other day where according to the UN, 77 countries maintain restrictions on the type of work women can do. So for example, women are allowed to work at night or they're not allowed to work in certain fields. So they seek kind of work in other, in other places that do give them that freedom to work. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about this mom with six children making the difficult decision to take a job overseas. Um, what happened and how did that process work? Did she go and, and apply for a job through a placement agency? Yeah. Well, first, I mean, I just want to point out that it was just speaking to her, you could tell that it was such an emotional conversation and an emotional decision for her to make because her youngest her youngest infant was only six months old. Um, so what she did is that she went, which is what happens with a lot of our Filipino clients, is that they go through a, a temp agency that kind of um, that kind of places them all over the world doing different types of work. And this one in particular was placed with a family in Saudi Arabia. Um, she was. She was a domestic servant for about two years. Um, during that time, the family vacationed here in Orange County, and that's and during her time here in Orange County, she was able to escape. During those two years that she was being trafficked, then her family didn't improve their lives because there was no. nothing going back. So there was a lot of fraud involved in the contract, where they said that they would pay her. The family never once paid her. Uh, they they took away her freedom. They took away her documents, all her IDs. Um, they didn't allow her to speak to her family for that for those couple of years. Um, they didn't allow. Her, they only allowed her to shower once a month. Um, so yeah, her family was not necessarily in a better place because of the decision that she made. And who took care of her children while she was gone? You know, that's the, that's the beautiful part of these very complex and tragic stories is that there's beauty within them. So while she was gone, her husband was, was taking care of her, her six kids. Wow. And all by himself. What a man, huh? Exactly. So, One of my heroes. Still keeping the farm, farm um, going. So, yeah. Um, are there any other of your your cases where it's it's a mom who had to leave her children? Oh yeah, Mo many many of our cases. We work with a lot of single moms, and we see this theme where 
um, they they have hope that coming to the U.S. is going to change your situation. Is they're going to have different educational um, experiences and they're going to be able to kind of live the American dream and send back their money back home. But normally it doesn't work out like that. Um, it, it works out where they end up being being trafficked and not making any money whatsoever. And according to some of the research that I've done, um, this kind of situation, it, they, they, the victims come from almost every continent. Um, we have clients from Africa, Kenya, Nigeria. Um, we've seen we've seen moms from Russia and Romania. Even when mm-hmm. I was back in um, in Greece, um, I was amazed at how many young mothers with um, two, three year old children left to come and work for the summer in Greece, and then of course they weren't able to return. Um, because of the fraud and then the the violence and the coercion. And those children then not only suffer uh, because they didn't achieve their financial goals, but um, just the issues of your mom being out of your life. So if you... Yeah, and that, that, that makes it extremely difficult if they ever are reunited with their kids. Well, and that's that's kind of my next question. Um, when I first started working with the task force here in Orange County, and I was reading through all of the 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 kind of documents that the government puts out and about the um, benefits and things that we can provide or the services we can provide for for victims identified as human trafficking victims, I saw the term derivative, and I'm not a ba- business major, but for me that was. That was something that was part of a um, of a financial statement, and but as I began to understand, I realized no, it's a lot more because we look at a victim and we see more than one person. So you want to kind of give us a a, a client based definition of what a derivative is. Sure. So the way that practically we use the term derivative in the anti trafficking field. Um, many cases is, um, so we're, we're working with a survivor and then their immediate family are the derivatives. So just to give you a more practical example, um, one of the immigration reliefs that we're able to offer um, our clients is uh, helping them apply for a T visa, which would then um, have them stay in the U.S. here legally, so like that they have access to work legally, they have access to, to benefits, to a social security card. Um, so, so as a derivative of a survivor, so meaning if they have a husband, if they have children who are under 21 in another country, they could also um, have those same T visa experiences with them. Okay, so, so then... What that recognizes then that when, for instance, the case that you shared with us, the mom with six kids and her husband farmer, um, she was a victim of trafficking, but they were indirectly victims of human trafficking. Exactly. It's a it's a family system. So 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 the derivatives is a way of recognizing their victimization and then uh, prioritizing. Um, the well-being of a of a survivor 
and including the family in reunification. So tell us what reunification looks like. Is it pretty much easy? We just send them plane tickets and they show up? No, actually, well, the family reunification process is one of my favorite services that we are able to provide, especially to our, um, to our, our survivors that are parents that have either spouses in other countries or children under 21 in other countries. Um, what we're able to do is that we work with an organization called the International Organization of Migration, short for IOM, and we start an application process where, let's, let's say one of our clients receives her T visa, we submit an IOM application, and um, IOM helps get all of the paperwork and all of the coordination um, in their home country. So like that, we are able to assist in bringing them here to the U.S. to be reunified with their family. And that really is an incredible experience. Just in 2015, we've reunified three families, and it's been absolutely incredible. So what are the steps to planning for a successful reunification? Well, the steps... Well, there's a lot of it that goes on because, as you can imagine, there are some complexities and some challenges when, let's say, a mother hasn't seen their kids for the majority of their life, and then they come here to the U.S., and kind of like that, the the mother-child relationship is going to be it's it's going to be hard. They haven't seen each other in so long. We recently had one last year where it had been... Uh, 17 years since our survivor had seen her daughter, and her daughter now is is a, is 18 years old. Um, so that really brought a lot of challenges in terms of helping her acculturate, helping her um, find a school that was that she was going to feel comfortable in, and just kind of that communication that that happens between a mother and daughter and that bond that has been broken for so long and there's been so much of lack of communication to then start that all over again, um, going from zero to 100 is extremely challenging. And what about setting up uh, to house a family that has never lived here? Yeah, so as you can imagine, it's, it's difficult enough to even house our survivors um, we don't have enough housing for human trafficking survivors in Orange County. We actually only have, we have the only shelter in Orange County that's designated for human trafficking survivors. Um, so imagine trying to house, if we don't have enough beds for survivors, imagine bringing in more families. And I mean, low-income housing in Orange County is extremely, extremely minimal. So it is a, a big challenge to house them and to house them in a way that's going to provide dignity to them, you know, not necessarily making them share a room with 10 other people, but really giving them their space that they need to become a family unit all over again. One of the things I've enjoyed so much here in Orange County is when a family has successfully been reunited. Um, I love listening to our volunteers talk about it. So kind of talk about a little bit of the role volunteers play in the successful reunification of a family. Well, I always say that we cannot do the work that we do with our our incredible community partners and our volunteers. Um, So, for instance, we have one volunteer who, whenever I have a Filipino um, family reunification, 
um, since she's Filipino and knows the culture, um, I pair her up with our clients. So like that, they could start talking about making sure that they have everything ready. Um, and it, it's just really nice to, to plan for your family arriving with somebody that really understands the culture that they're coming from. So we, we really do use our volunteers in a lot of different settings. And what about um, like getting a, an apartment furnished? Where do you find resources for that? So for apartment furnishes, we are really, we are really lucky and blessed that we never have a problem finding furniture or anything that a client needs in terms of for apartments. We work with a lot of churches and of course, many and most of our volunteers come from churches. So whenever we need anything, we kind of have a volunteer database and we send out an email and normally within an hour or two, we have an influx of responses of people just wanting to donate. So it really is, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch the community come together when one of these family reunifications happen. So I think that would be the best part of your job. It definitely is. Yeah. Especially since this year we've had so many and the year is only, you know, five months in. It's been an incredible experience. So um, and just to let you know, um, that family that I mentioned with six kids, um, she was actually reunified with her six children and her husband last year in June. So June 2014. So it was such a such an emotional emotional and great time watching them at the airport and and just she she's just been such an, a resilient survivor and she made sure to to plan and she had a full time job she had been saving up for a year from working she bought herself a minivan so like that when they're here um, they've been doing extremely well. I remember I remember that story and one of the pieces of that story that really struck me was how wise she was. She had already been once she got a job she had already been sending money home to her husband and the children. But in the last few months, um, she decreased that because she said, I have to save for the minivan. And I thought that was that was a wonderful example of resiliency and and strength um, that we yeah. saw. In her. And I think that's really important to highlight, because I think that it's so easy that when we're when we're talking about, you know, human trafficking survivors, they it sometimes what comes to our mind is like their tragic story. But at the same time, um, I am blessed enough to work with them on a daily basis. And I see how hard it is. But at the same time, I also see how resilient and how strong um, our survivors are. And particularly our single moms that 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 are just absolutely incredible. So if you, you know, we just talked about a, a couple of successes, um, does it ever just not work? Yeah, um, honestly, there's been, since I've been doing family reunifications, most of them have worked. There has been one that comes to mind right now that it was a survivor um, from a particular country who left her daughter when she was, I think four years old and then we, she wanted to reunify her. So we went through the application process. The daughter really wanted to come and, and see her mom and live in the U S and she kind of had like that American dream. 
but then what happened is that the daughter was, she was 17 years old. So they went, they went through so many years without seeing each other and each of them have kind of grown apart uh, so much that it was really hard once they, once they got here to learn how to communicate with one another. Um, so that's kind of what we, we try to step in and we try to encourage them to go talk to a therapist, not only alone, but together. Um, so there are a lot of challenges. And then, of course, just acculturating to the American culture when, when you're from another country is always going to be a challenge. Well, and, and I remember when, um, and Shima told us about this when she when we interviewed her on the podcast, um, when they tried to reconnect her with her family, her family rejected her rescue, if you will, and were concerned that they were going to um, have problems because this was how they'd paid their debt and they wanted her to go back and work for the traffickers. So they, the, the relationship wasn't restored and the um, understanding all of those, those ramifications, because you've already mentioned the issues of poverty, but debt is a, um, an aspect that even if someone is, is recovered and rescued here, is that debt still going to hang over the family in the country of origin? Yeah, and that's 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 a really big aspect that we think about, um, and that are actually that our clients are really smart to think through before going through that family reunification process. Wow. So mothers that are trafficked have unique challenges, but when you see them restored, um, it's pretty exciting. And I've been at a couple of those celebrations and watching those kids run around and keep running back to hug their mom. It's it's a pretty exciting experience and um, must make your job really gratifying. It, it really is one of my favorite parts of, of working with our with our incredible survivors. Yeah. So one of the other things that you bring to the table as the program director for um, for the human trafficking aspect of Salvation Army here in Orange County is your experience with um, children at risk and in international development. And so I, I want to look at some of the, um, the, the challenges and champions kind of aspect of how we do better prevention in the countries of origin. You know, we always want to look at prevention. We want to see people rescued. We want to see people restored, but it's going to be a lot less traumatic for everybody and um, less um, resources required to do good prevention. So my this last segment, I want to talk about how can we improve prevention of trafficking for mothers, um, especially in a global context? Yeah. Well, prevention is something that I I think through a lot just because um, I'm working with survivors so often and they're continually like sharing their story and and we're able to kind of identify like the themes that if they would have been in place, um, how all of this wouldn't have happened. And, and one of the themes that really comes to mind when I'm thinking about prevention is, of course, helping to eliminate poverty. Um, but I also think that one of those that connects is, is the inequality of women, is that women in, in so many different countries and even here in the U.S. at times, um, women are not seen as equal 
and really if we give them that opportunity to work and and not even give them more rights than men, but just equal rights as men, we'll see that they have they have so much to contribute um, to their culture, to their community, and to their society. So when we talk from a, a women's studies perspective about the the pay gap between men and women, um, I know my students here at Vanguard are often outraged when they see the numbers, but they still, uh, you know, they still live in a comfortable enough place. They know where their next meal is coming from. And sure, they'd like to go out, but the food in the calf is fine. In fact, sometimes it's really pretty good. But if you're a mom and you're you're a single mom and the pay gap means that the the man in the village gets paid twice as much as you do, um, that trickles down to how well you can provide for your children. And if somebody offers you something much, much better, uh, and you have so little to lose in that risk management decision, that that's going to make you very vulnerable to saying yes and taking that risk. Well, of course. And, and like we see in so many of our stories is that the reason of why they decide to, to leave their families and 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 I think uh, many of them have known that it's a risk, but they're willing to take that risk because they want to be able to provide for their children, especially when you're the only caregiver. Who else is going to do that? Well, and and so when we go into countries, because I know I've been there where IOM has had big campaigns to reduce mm-hmm. risk in a particular country, and they put up um, billboards and they hand out leaflets. And they tell the they tell people about the red flags of a of a fraudulent offer. Don't don't listen to this person. But if you don't have any other any other resources, how effective is that kind of red flag management of um, prevention? Well, exactly. Yeah, I think I think you're. You're incredibly right there. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I'd love to hear from listeners um, on how we could change the way we think about prevention. I have this image in my mind that we're doing prevention by building a fence around um, a, a very fragile um, plant to keep the wind out and to keep the, the storm from beating it down. But what we really should be doing is feeding that plant so that now it's strong and can withstand the storm. And mm. one of the things that you talked about um, with poverty, how, how do we equ- empower women in their communities to, to see sustainable development? Yeah. And um, well, go ahead. Yeah, it- yeah, um, I think that one of the things that we could do right here as a community in Orange County, and particularly those those of us that are in, that are involved in maybe um, organizations or our faith-based communities, different churches, um, is that we could really come alongside of single moms and single—I mean, just single parents in general—because they are um, they are vulnerable in our community and things are a lot more challenging for them. So I think that taking the time and really walking alongside um, maybe somebody in your in your church that is a single parent is really, really going to come a long way. And that in itself is prevention um, for the future. 
So maybe helping her take a night class to finish her education and, and just babysit her kids. Exactly. It's something as easy as that. And I think that, that sometimes what's really scary for community members when I speak to them is that it's going to, it's going to affect their, their daily life. And it really is. Oftentimes we don't want to acknowledge that, that this is going on in our community, but really it's such a beautiful thing when we allow somebody who maybe looks different than us to enter our lives and to affect it on a, on a regular basis. So even asking, asking the single parent questions like, is there anything that you need help with? Not necessarily offering your opinion on what they need, but giving them, giving them the choices and see what is it that they would want to do. Well, and it's probably, um, we'll have to defer this to another podcast, but when you're talking about single moms um, at risk, um, I'm thinking even really young teen moms at risk and how we've seen a pattern of them being recruited by pimps who um, offer to help them. And then the pimp actually uses the fact that they have a child as one of the coercive techniques that he uses to control them and may even um, not let her take the child out with her by, by herself because she might not come back. So if he keeps the child, then um, she has to come back. And the you just bring up such a great, great point with we can do something right here to improve prevention among single moms right here in Orange County. Yes, we can. And I believe that. Will you give us um, contact information for how our listeners can reach out to you at Salvation Army here in Orange County and beyond? Of course. Well, um, you could follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook is the Salvation Army Anti-Trafficking Services Program. Um, and if there's any information that you need, um, you could go ahead and contact me directly through email. And my email is priscilla.santos at usw.salvationarmy.org. We'll put that in the show notes for those of you who are driving and cannot hear, cannot stop to, well, you shouldn't stop to write it down, right? And um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's great. And we'll put links to your, to your Facebook and also to the websites for Salvation Army. And Sandy, this is also such a great example of partnership. I know that there are a lot of people out there who are attracted to helping uh, in the issue of, of human trafficking by helping with survivors. And I think that this conversation today in particular is just such a important reminder of how much very important work strategy care goes into the process of, of working with survivors. And I know Priscilla hasn't even scratched the surface of, of all the work that she does to do this. And so just a, an important reminder for all of us, if you are thinking about getting involved in helping with this issue, is to reach out in your local area to see who's already doing work Um, that Mm. you can learn and be mentored by people who are doing good work like Priscilla and really know this area well and know all the complexities that goes along with this too. So thank you so much, Priscilla, for that perspective and for uh, for doing the important work that you do. Thank you. It was great to be here and speak with you. Well, we'll have you back. So um, it's fun fun to have 
uh, community partners on our podcast. Terrific. Thank you. And if you're listening and there's someone you want to um, want us to interview, send us an email. If you've got suggestions or questions, we want to be as responsive as possible. And if you're on iTunes, um, please leave us um, a review. It helps us find new listeners and share the content and um, the quality of our guests with other people around the world. It sure does. And thanks in advance if you do that. And if you would like to reach us by email, the best way to do that is gcwj at vanguard.edu. And that stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And you can also reach us by phone as well, 714-966-6360. Sandy, always a pleasure. And I look forward to talking with you again in two weeks. Thank you, Dave. Bye, everybody. Bye.